0: Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. We have a doozy of an interview for all of you listeners today as I am finally joined by SMU men's tennis head coach Grant Chen to discuss both his team's undefeated run through the American Athletic Conference in 2022 and so much more. It was such a pleasure to get to chat with Coach Chen, particularly given how busy things have been for he and the Dallas tennis community of late. Of course, Dallas was able to bring in an ATP event this past February. They added that alongside of the challenge they've hosted for many years now. And of course, that's a testament to the tennis community in Dallas, but also a testament to the efforts of Grant Chen, who was instrumental in planning that event, has been instrumental in ensuring that this thriving Dallas tennis community, excuse me, does embrace this SMU program as well. And of course, we wanted to talk to Coach Chen not only about the success he has had coaching tennis this season, but of course, the non-tennis aspects of the head coaching role that he really does seem to thrive in, and when you're sitting as a head coach, as we've learned, you're really more of a CEO of these programs. We wanted to reflect on Coach Chen's experience, how his unconventional background shapes the coach he is today, and then, of course, we had to take a walk down memory lane, talk about his tenure at UCLA, and so much more. It truly is, folks, a fantastic conversation that we know all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Of course, before we get to Coach Chen, just want to remind all of you, if you're looking for the latest updates on anything happening, in the Division I college tennis world. We have you covered. We cover all of the women's action 9 p.m. every Tuesday night on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. We talk about the men Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern time. Of course, the NCAA tournament slowly approaching, folks. You don't want to miss out on what promises to be the most thrilling NCAA tournament, I would say, in at least a decade. That's how open things are heading into May. You don't want to miss out on anything, and you can play catch-up by listening or watching all of our shows. Again, every Tuesday and Thursday, on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, you can hear them the next day as Great Shot podcast episodes as well. Of course, if you're looking for anything else happening across the tennis world, tune into our website, CrackRackets.com. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. Of course, if you want to message me directly, I am at A.L. Gruskin. A shout out also to our friends over at Swing Vision for their support of this show. And look, Swing Vision leaders in all things artificial intelligence in the tennis industry. Simply put, if you want to get better in the most efficient way possible, you are going to want to turn to our friends at Swing Vision. You can learn how, A, by downloading the app on your phone. It's fairly simple. Or B, you can click on the link in the description to this podcast learn more about their company, how they're able to break down all the footage. And again, very simple. You download an app on your phone. When you do, use our promo code CRACK20. You'll get $20 off plus a 14-day pro trial. Again, we love partnering with innovators that's what we have in our friends at swing vision you want to hear more about them by the way you can hear from their ceo Swapnil sahai on this podcast feed or you can click on the link in the description to this pod and again use crack 20 as the promo code upon sign up but with that said let's get to it here is my conversation with smu men's tennis head coach grant chat hey crack fans Joining us on the podcast for the first time today is a man you all know best as the head coach of the AAC winning men's tennis SMU Mustangs. Of course, he's a man I know best as the blueprint for what is possible as a former tennis on campus player. Please welcome to the show our friend SMU head coach, Grant Chen. Coach, welcome. Congratulations to you and the team on the title. How are you doing on this Monday?
1: Great to see you. Great to hear from you. Really, thank you for the invite. Uh Earlier, I guess my invitations got lost in the mail (laughs) because I thought I was one of the few coaches that you didn't want on the podcast, but uh, I feel like I've uh, joined the the big kids table by being on the podcast.
0: Can I make the counterpoint to that argument is that there are, you know, we've been so fortunate to talk to so many coaches and the list of coaches who I'm still extraordinarily excited to talk to is very short. And you are very much at the top of that list. It's we got to get Grant Chen on at the right moment. And I mean, we have a lot to cover here today. And, you know, I think the place we have to start, you look at what your team has accomplished this season. And I mean, obviously, you're coming off of a conference tournament championship, you've guys earned three impressive victories, you know, 4-2 over Temple, uh, 4-2 over USF, 4-2 over Memphis in the final. You run the gauntlet through an undefeated AAC season, a season that has your team now number 20, according to College Tennis Rank's projected rankings and, you know, first- conference tournament title for you all in the ACC and it's still a relatively new group you know for you I still think it's what year four for you on the job talk yep. to me about what this weekend meant to you meant to this program
1: you know a lot of it was kind of a culmination of mm-hmm. uh the four years I mean I got hired June 6 uh 2018 and I remember it vividly it was about nine days after the NCAA's finished Wake Forest and uh I thought I was going to have a nice summer break before (laughs) UCLA tennis camps. And believe it or not, I think 24 hours after I got back to Los Angeles, I was on a plane to Dallas. So, you know, and on that flight, I flew the red eye. I made two proposals. One of them was a development plan for the team, tennis specific. And then the other one was more of a big picture, 30,000 foot view look at SMU tennis. And uh, my what I can maybe try to do is an impact in the community and on campus. And a lot of those have kind of started to come into place, you know, is it all because of the Dallas Open? I don't know. Is it all because of this? I don't know. But, you know, I think a lot of the things that we've laid the foundation for, um, you know, has kind of worked in our favor. And, and this year, a lot of it has lined up. So the stars are all kind of coming together and forming what we've uh, had is a, I think, pretty darn good season. Uh, You know, the the week in Tulsa was really exciting. I'm very comfortable in Tulsa, so I'm going to always preface it with that. (laughs) Having spent a lot of time there the last, I don't know, 19 years with uh, their three NCAAs and All-Americans and all the other things, uh, you know, I, I know the town pretty darn well. And, you know, we spent eight days there. We left Easter Sunday. We played Tulsa Monday. We had a couple of days of practice and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and we got back late last night. So. Here we are, but really an exciting time. And I think uh, most importantly, it starts with the guys, the recruits that we've all brought in, the guys, the players. And, uh, you know, it's such a ripple effect of, you know, starting with one guy, Huntley Allen, who came in January, my year one, which led to a couple other guys, which led to, um, you know, a couple five stars, then blue chips and then their friends. And, you know, now we've kind of have a roster that has been fairly competitive. Mm-hmm. So really fun to see all in all, and really excited to, for the guys to really I think feel a little bit of validation that a lot of the work that they've done and a lot of the things that I've asked them to do for the program. Um, I'm not crazy, or maybe I still am, <laughs> but at least uh, at least we've
0: gotten a couple wins. No, you are crazy, but it's the right sort of crazy. It's the crazy you need to have success in this sport, right? With the no ad points happening everywhere, you just have to be, uh, you know, have to have a little edge is how we sure. describe well, it. I, but, um, you know, to your, to your point, and obviously I want to talk about the community engagement and what you guys have been able to do, because to have an ATP event come to town, that's the Coup de Gras, right? That's what every program is looking for. And I want to get into the mechanics of that. But let's get even, you know, nitty-grittier first. Let's talk about the guys and how they were able to accomplish this victory in the final. Again, 4-2 over Memphis. Your guys dropped the doubles point. In this match, and you look for your team throughout the course of the season, I have the stats in front of me, forty-eight and twenty-three. You're winning two thirds of your double sets, you know, nineteen and four overall at the three spot, eighteen and eight at the one spot. You guys are winning a lot of doubles points. For your team to drop that doubles point, and you know, again, I know it's year four for you as a head coach, but you take over of director of ops UCLA, I want to say two thousand and one. Um Talk to me. What? Give me the speech. What's? What are you telling to your guys after they dropped their doubles point? What did you see from them ultimately able to earn a couple of three-set victories on their way to the title?
1: You know, the, the, the halftime part between doubles and singles actually was pretty straightforward. <laughs> and it, it was pretty straightforward this time because I feel like the last couple months, one of the things I'm very proud of the guys is, especially in singles, a lot of them after dropping the first set have come back to push it to a third, whether they win or not, at least we put ourselves in a third set. You know, I think one of the turning points um, really highlighted the first time we played South Florida at home, which was, uh, I believe, March 20th. We lose the doubles point. We lose four first sets and five out of the six singles matches go to three. And we ended up winning all five of those uh, three set matches, which, which I think alone is is a is a pretty remarkable accomplishment. But what I've seen from the guys is that even after dropping the doubles point or dropping a first set, they're all still in it. You know, I think part of it has to do with um, our care and treatment and fitness. I think the guys have done a nice job, and you know, for the most part, I think everyone's pretty healthy, um, so to speak, for this part of the season. But I think that's been a trend: is uh, even after dropping first sets, they're still resilient enough to try to dig their way in. Now, they don't always climb out of that hole, but I think they've put themselves in a position to at least try to get it to a third set. So when it comes to that point, later in the matches, we've been okay. We've had nine uh, 4-3 matches. We had a couple of tough, tough early losses uh, right off the bat. You know, we lost to Texas Tech 4-3 at home. uh, Last match, I think, was three in the third. And then a couple of days later at kickoff, we lose to Notre Dame Mm 4-3. Last match came to Caleb at number one against um, Axe you know, tough three set loss, but I think those really helped later down the road. Um, I think a little bit of a turning point, we played Nebraska on the road. Um, Sean's a good friend of mine and and a a guy I really respect and know them well, but, you know, we were down, I think six or seven match points in the the last singles match and kind of pulled that one out. And then we pulled out another, you know, four, three match with Texas A&M and then the San Diego one, which was an absolute war for close to four hours. But I think after those long matches, you know, a 4-3 match really wasn't that big of a deal for the guys because I think they felt from a fitness standpoint, they were in good shape. Also, mentally, they were strong for the duration of that match. And that, most importantly, every one of their counterparts from lines one through six had that same mindset, so no one gave up. And I think sometimes, a lot of times, losses, we get in our own way. You know, and that's not just us, but I think in tennis in general, uh, you know, sometimes the opponents don't beat us. We beat ourselves. And, uh, you know, I think if we can strive to not beat ourselves and, hey, if the opponent is better that day, hats off. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll move on. We'll learn from it and, and then we'll adapt. Um, you know, Oklahoma State, uh, we played at home. We ended up losing 6-1, a bunch of three setters. Did we get blown out? No, we didn't get blown out. Did we get in our own way? No. Um, I think that was a team that day, DT and the boys, they, uh, they played great and uh, they wanted the match a little bit more. They played a little bit better at the bigger moments and I give them credit. So, you know, we learned from that match and we moved on. So, you know, it hasn't been a perfect season, but I think that's led us to where we are now at the end of April to be able to know that we have the ability to try to stay in it as long as we can. And if you were going to come up short, you know, we left it all out there. Doubles was seven, six in the, in the final match at line two and, you know, Memphis played a really good tiebreaker. We came up with a couple unlucky bounces in that tiebreaker. And then, hey, we move on. Um, so that's what I really have felt with our guys. So in between doubles and singles, businesses as usual, no need to panic, no need to go, you know, uh, You know to, to worry. We just stayed the course and believed in what we were doing. Have you gotten better at that speech over time? You know, I, I think sometimes also, as as I've learned as being a head coach, Sometimes less is more. Sure. And then the other thing I've also tried to do is really empower hearing different voices. So it it might be one of the captains on on a day or Ben or Gray on the coaching staff or, you know, someone else's voice, whether it's the message might be the same, but also maybe it's just said in a different way. Hmm. So, you know, I think sometimes you kind of pick and choose where you need to do something and when you need to say something. Uh, My post-match team meetings are historically pretty quick you know, five, seven minutes tops just because I feel like if it's any longer than that, you're probably gonna lose the guys anyways. Mm-hmm. You know, the last thing anyone wants to do after a win or a loss is to sit in a 45 minute meeting. And I certainly don't want to be doing that either. So, you know, why why beat a dead horse? Mm-hmm. But I think you know you you tackle a few things and if you can't say something in a short amount of time, then you know you probably shouldn't be saying it anyways. Yeah. So you know I think the the meetings, you know, this past couple days Um, especially after Temple in South Florida, it was actually more about um, getting ready and preparing for the next match. Mm -hmm. So treatment, food, hydration, recovery, cool down, all that. And then really yesterday um, after the match, um, letting the guys really embrace it, celebrate pictures, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, we got some food um, and then we hit the road. Um, had we had lost, you know, I'm not sure how that would have gone. Dinner probably would have been a little bit quicker. It might have been a little <laughs> bit more, you know, grab and go. But I think you can kind of, you know, fill it out a little bit based on what happens. And yesterday, you know, after the match, it was a nice couple hours. And and I think the guys now um, are still somewhat celebrating and, I, and I'm glad they are.
0: No, certainly you guys have positioned yourself to have it happen again. And, you know, you talk about getting the guys to buy in and have faith in themselves in those moments and, you know, to trust that the work they've put in beforehand uh, will help get them through when it's the deuce points, when it's the third sets. And obviously that takes buy in from the players, that takes building a culture in a program. And I know over the past four years, you've gone about bringing in guys in different ways, whether it be recruiting, you know, four or five year players, whatever whatever it may be, bringing in transfers as well. You know, I will admit, To an unforced error on my fault, on my part. This is a second apology. Not only should we have had you on this show sooner, but we talked about last year's superstar freshman class, and there were a lot of exceptional freshmen. Certainly, the headliners Monday and the Virginia three, and you know, you can look Micah Braswell over in Texas. You can look across the country. A guy I did not do a good enough job of including in that conversation is the guy who clinched the title for you all uh, this past weekend in sophomore Liam Crawl, who you know, you look at. His numbers this season, 17 and 3 in his sophomore campaign. 17 and 3. That's a ridiculous amount of success. And, you know, for those that don't know, he was the freshman of the year in the conference last season, and, you know, 16 and 9 overall in singles. To do that as a freshman is outstanding. But there's a poise to his matches now. And I always say, you know, because everyone in college tennis hits a forehand well, everyone can hit a backhand, everyone can serve. But you see for the players who take that next step, a command of the speed and the pace of the match where, you know, they're never too overwhelmed or they seem to be able to summon that big forehand in the deuce points in the moments. Third-party observation, I see that from Liam this season. I see everything slowing down for him. Is that a fair, like, I don't think it's a fundamental structural thing. Of course, he's gotten fitter, but it just seems to me that things have slowed down for him this year.
1: You know, I, I think first off, you know, I don't, I don't fault you for not having Liam on your list. He wasn't on a lot of people's list, to be honest. And, you know, a lot of schools kind of told them he would be their seven, eight guy and he could be a walk on and maybe this and that and all that. And, and, you know, for me, I really felt he had some upside, mm-hmm. but I, I think he also wanted to be part of kind of this whole somewhat transformation and taking a team from maybe, you know, low or rock bottom and then maybe trying to help it build. And I think that excitement for him was part of maybe one of the reasons why he chose SMU. Um, But the young man has just done an incredible job. And I think him having the opportunity to play pretty high last year as a freshman has really led to to this season. Um, You know, my original thought uh, 18 months ago before last year, his freshman year is I was going to have Julian, Steinhausen and Liam Crawl kind of at that four, five, six. Mm-hmm. I thought they were freshmen. Let them get their feet wet. And then it kind of got to the point where we just, you know, Liam played a bunch of matches in the fall and early in January. We just we couldn't put him any lower than three. Mm-hmm. And that's really what. There was one match, and he played um, uh, a Texas A&M player who was fairly highly ranked and played in their starting lineup. And he beat him at TCU in a kind of a hidden duo type of match. And it kind of dawned on me. I'm like, wow, we can't put Liam any lower than three. <laughs> yeah. And so we started him at two, you know, you could see some nerves. There was a couple matches. I remember specifically as Utah match freshman year, you know, you saw a little bit of that youth, but really each match, he got better and better and better. And what's been the most fun with Liam is that he loves the game of tennis. He absolutely just loves and just eat breathes, and sleeps this game. So, whether it's players, results, how the other schools are doing, what happened in this conference tournament, what happened in that event. And, you know, he just loves the game so much, um, and he really embraces it. But he's had his obstacles and challenges as well, but his growth and maturity has been really tremendous to see over these past two seasons. And I think a lot of his experience of what happened freshman year has led to a lot of maturity, but also composure, and, and a lot of growth mindset for his sophomore year. And, you know, the, you know, we're not done with this year's season, but it's going to be really exciting to see what happens in his last two years of college in his junior and senior year because uh, for this young man, I, I really do think the sky's the limit. You know, he just embraces the challenge and the opportunity. And and one match, I'll tell you, that stands out to me vividly. Uh, he was fortunate enough to receive a Qualies wild card at Dallas Open, uh-huh. and he played ridiculously high-level tennis for two-plus hours against Radanova, who I think – you know, give or take 130 uh, ATP. Mm-hmm. And it was only one break of serve.
0: The big you know, lefty, right? That's who he matched yep. up against. Yep.
1: Yep. You know, lo- loses the first set, 7-6, close tiebreaker, gets mm-hmm. broken early in the second, but still holds his way the rest of the way and actually almost had a chance to break um, and then ends up losing 6-3. and three, But some high-level tennis. And you could tell that every moment of that match, mm-hmm. he just loved. And he was embracing it. He was having fun playing it. And he got off the court and I think he just felt, Hey, you know what? You know, I can play. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty good tennis player. And, and, you know, yesterday and even on um, Saturday when we played South, Florida, you know, he drops the first head to, um, to South Florida. And, and I just, you know, Hey, he's going to be fine. You know, I'm not saying he's going to win, but I know he's going to find his way into the match. He's going to look for opportunities. You know, he's going to find his way to sneak out and push it to a third and, you know, yesterday, had he had fallen short or on Saturday, if, if it would have gone the other way, you know, he still would have left it all out there. Um, you know, one of the moments that I remember so vividly as well was SMU versus South Florida in the conference tournament last year in the semifinals, he actually lost the last one of the, you know, the clinching points. And I think it was seven, six in the third, but you could tell he wanted to be in that moment. And as much as that loss hurt him, you know, he still knows that there was going to be a lot more ahead of him. And I think he was able to take those experiences and and those trials and tribulations and know that, hey, that heartbreak last year, you know, was going to help him his sophomore year. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's been fun to see. He's a great kid to work with. There's a lot of things we're still working on and he wants to work on in his own tennis game. But to see what a young man who's done in his first two years,
0: it, it's really exciting to see. I'm just angry with myself because I'm the guy who's supposed to have him on the list, like not to have an ego, but I'm supposed to be the one who's saying, Hey, don't forget about what Liam crawl is doing over at SMU, killing it as a freshman. And seriously, he was, and I mean, it's carried over into this season. Uh, again, I got to budget my time here because I've got like seven hours of questions. And all this is, is we're going to get a chapter two and a chapter three because we'll have no, to have no, you back no problem. On the we show. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll get the trilogy. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's all I'm asking. Like, Lord of the Rings did 12 hours. You're telling me, mean yeah, you can't we, do 12 hours? Yeah, we, That's-
1: we got we got plenty of time. Believe me, there we got, exactly. we got uh, the we got that's a lot it. of time before the big uh, the tournament, and we have a lot of time after
0: that. That's what, that's what August is for, post-Kalamazoo when there's nothing. It's like, that's what we do. Um, with exactly. that in mind, though, again, I want to talk about your team and the way you've gone about building it, because you mentioned there in your answer about Liam, you've got a guy who just loves tennis, who wants to get better, who wants to embrace all aspect uh, aspects of the college tennis experience. Obviously, you've brought in him and other guys to be the foundation of what you're trying to build here in year four, but you've also gone to... the transfer portal and brought in, you know, players like Pranav and Adam and Caleb as well. And I'm curious, as you're trying to build this culture, because again, year four now, I'm sure there may be a stragglers, the wrong word, a player or two left who is on the roster that you did not directly recruit. But at this point, it's primarily players that you have selected to help, you know, build the program you want to build. Is that the characteristic you're looking for first as you build this program? You're a guy who loves the you know the process, loves getting after all the details. Is that what you're looking for from these players first? I mean, I'm sure tennis is a part of it, but is that the characteristic that has transcended transfer portal, recruit, whatever it may be?
1: Yeah, you know it's, I think it, it, it still is the right fit. you know you, okay. you talk about the names that you mentioned and most of those guys I've known for many, many, many years, you know, Kayla Chakravarty. Um, I actually recruited to go to UCLA, um, you know, at the time, you know, he was in a, in an incredible class with Bryce Pereira, Keegan Smith, Connor Hantz. And, you know, it was just, it was just how many of these SoCal kids were we going to take um, or could we take? So at that time we already brought in those couple guys, those guys all committed within 10 days of each other. And Caleb called me during the U S open and, and it was kind of a musical chairs. It didn't quite work out. And, and he was about to commit to Illinois and that's okay. Um, you know, but I've known him for a while. Adam Neff is another young man that I've known for a a long time as well. I sat in his living room before he made his decision to go to North Carolina. And, uh, you know, I've, I've just always believed in the kids first. I think that's what I try to really look at. Um, Liam was someone I really believed in. He wasn't a blue chip. You know, he was a pretty good junior in the East coast. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say what he was on tennis recruiting. I'm pretty sure he was a five-star, but the point is finding a little bit of those diamonds in the rough. Mm-hmm. And also the other part is a couple of years ago, you know, the five stars or the blue chips weren't coming to SMU. Mm-hmm. You know, we were kind of irrelevant from the, the, that, perspective. And, you know, so we got a bunch of four or five stars that were solid, mm-hmm. which led to hopefully a couple of blue chips after that. Um, Pranav was a very unique situation in that he had actually graduated Texas A&M and he's a local Dallas kid. He grew up in Plano and his family's still there now. And, and, you know, I've gotten to know him just because, um, you know he was at the liquor academy and and we know a m pretty darn well just because of proximity and it it just felt right you know and 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 i remember uh having this conversation with him and it just kind of felt like all the pieces and you know just felt comfortable um and so while the transfer portal has been a certainly a an opportunity out there i think it still comes down to what players fit the the, the bill you know you take julian steinhausen and that's a young man who attended by ucla tennis camps back in you know when he was eight nine ten years old um and he was actually you know about to commit to usc and that that was pretty obvious and so it's not some giant secret just because he was an la boy <laughs> and i kind of threw out a hail mary i was like well why don't you come take a visit <laughs> yeah. you know i mean what do you what do you really have to lose except 48 hours you know a trip to a trip to dallas he had a couple socal friends on the team already and then that led to julian mm-hmm. so you know when it comes down to it I think it's important to recruit in your backyard. You know, I've really tried to focus on some Texas kids. Some of them have chosen to come here. Some of them have not. Um, and that's fine as well. I'm not for everybody. And our program might not be for everybody. But it's finding those right guys that I think really believe. Um, you know, we're, we have, we have a larger roster. And, and for all our road trips, I ask them, do you want to come on the trip? Is, is, is this a, Is this a thing you want to go to? Do you want to go to Tulsa? Do you want to go to Orlando? Do you want to do this? And they all say yes. And so then we figure out how to make it work. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it's been exciting to see that these guys all want to actually be together. They all actually want to be there. You know, we had two guys who weren't at the South Florida semifinal match and, and, you know, they flew up Sunday morning because they had other academic obligations and a few other things that I'm very, very sensitive about because finals is around the corner, but it was incredible. They all got there. They Ubered straight from the, Tulsa airport straight to the tennis facility. We had just started the national anthem and bam, you know, we had all our student athletes there. So uh, but building it, we've taken a little bit of a different path, I would say, because, you know, you know, I'm not, you know, we're not just recruiting anybody. I think it's got to make sense. Sure, It's got to make sense. And one thing I always ask the, the prospects is sort of, Hey, you know, why would you want to come to SMU? Why do you want to come here? Like, why, why do you think I'm your coach and Dallas is your town and all this kind of stuff? Cause it has to fit the bill. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people understand what we're trying to do. And maybe, maybe it's a little bit more clear now, just cause it's a couple years later. And, you know, maybe with a little bit of success, I think hopefully it's drawn some attention, but I, I think our guys, our backyard guys are great tennis players and they just need a little bit more care, a little bit of water, a little bit of growth. And, and, and I think they can be, you know, we can form a formidable team, um, you know, back at UCLA. I mean, the goal was to target the backyard kids in California and we got Marcos Girone, and, you know, uh, Mackie McDonald was a Northern Cal kid and Dennis McCurchin and Clay Thompson and, and guys who I think had a, a lot of success at the junior level, the national level. And then I think had some positive results in, uh, in college. But that was the idea. You know, I mean, 2018, our team there at UCLA, everyone was SoCal. Mm-hmm. And then we had one Florida kid and Marty Redlecki. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was an incredible season, a lot to be proud of. But, you know, when I got here, it was also kind of to start fresh, to see what it is we need to build a program. And Dallas is such a remarkable town. They love their tennis. They love their sports. And I think if we can bring in those right and identify those right kids, that X factor really comes together. We have not been the best team on paper, you know, or UTR wise a lot this season. You know, I think we just actually recently had Liam cross the 13.0 UTR (laughs) barrier. So for the better part of this entire season, our starting lineup was a 12, whatever, three to 12, eight, nine UTR. But, you know, I think we've come together as a group. The guys have done a wonderful job and, and, and I think have enjoyed this whole process together. And you know, UTR, I would tell you, I'll be the first to admit, you know, it's pretty darn accurate. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, when you run these individual tournaments, a lot of them go by UTR. And so proof is in the pudding. But I think we've we've found eight, nine guys who really have bought an in and you know don't really care about some of those kind of things. And I don't recruit exclusively by, you know, their ratings and their USTA recruiting and their rankings and all that. So but it's about finding the right guys and if the X factors are there. The tennis, I can work on. I can help with that development. We can work on those things. But I think the character and family, you know, you can't, you can't get new parents. Yeah. So, um, you know, those things I can't control.
0: It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all... It's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Very fair. Usually, by the way, I'm the one who has to bring up Dennis McCurchin, So this is maybe first time that it hasn't had to be me. So I'm greatly appreciative uh, of that fact because, you know, again, Talk about if he's there in 2014, do you guys win? Is If Adrian's healthy and is able to play six, do you guys win the title? We'll get there. I promise. Yeah. You should, okay. Yeah. Uh, listeners, you should see the look on Grant's face as that word comes out of my mouth. Um, that said, you talk about bringing people to Dallas and getting, you know, selling them the SMU program. And in the offseason, I offered a bunch of different coaches the chance to sell me on their school. I think you did a good job of that in your last answer. One additional Piece I would like to ask you about is the size of Tennis Complex, which obviously you guys have put so much work into redeveloping. And you know, I haven't had the chance to be there in person. It's gorgeous, though. Certainly, you look at the photos. It's a it's a must attend destination. I think uh, on. You know, just on the tennis uh, on the tennis map of places people need to go, and you know, certainly in terms of getting the community to buy in, it takes a lot to develop a complex like that. You guys were also able to bring an ATP event uh, to town this February, and obviously that builds off of the Challenger event that's been there for years now. And you know, again. Talk to me about the community buy-in, not only from the players, but from the external forces that allow you to develop the complex and you know allow you to bring in the ATP tournament and come into building a modern day college tennis program.
1: You get sometimes you're handed a card and you got to figure out what you want to do with it. And <laughs> yeah. I think when you have when you have a facility of this, you know stature and and um, you know size it's, it's almost a responsibility to, to utilize it. You know, I think it's to have the courts being active and, you know, fundraiser events and social functions and wheelchair tennis and senior adult women's leagues and, you know, tennis on campus, everything. I think it all ties in together for me when I see an empty tennis court not being used, I, deep down, I cringe. You know, if you want to ask me what keeps me up all night um, it's, it's the sport of tennis dying. Um, and so every single day, my motive and my goal and my, my driving force is how can we grow this game of tennis? How can we help each other out? How can we promote our sport? Um, and that's why all these things are intertwined. You know, we are not in competition with each other. We all, we can all live, um, cohesively because, you know, everyone is here for the right reasons. We all do what we do because we love the game of tennis. Uh Um, the, the facility is incredible. We're very fortunate enough to have it, but it's also, what can we do next? How can we utilize it? So I think my first, you know, thing on the task force was to create some programming. And now we've got a lot of activity here. So while I was gone in Tulsa, there was a, you know, a fundraiser charity event for a children's hospital. We've got, you know, other outside functions going on, tennis on campus is going on. We've got women's leagues. We've got junior programs. We're getting ready for summer camps. We've got a future's, men's and women's future this summer. We've got the UTR PTT event in August. So part of that is all kind of coming to life. And we have outside functions. Dirk Nowinski does his charity tennis event here, which is a lot of fun for the town. Um, But more importantly, I think a lot of it also has to do with putting butts in seats for SMU home matches. Uh You know, and I think that's been really exciting to see and utilizing the facility, the third floor suites, the second floor viewing, multi-level access, live streaming. How can we get more people to come to see a college tennis match? You know, frankly, I I would love SMU fans who don't know tennis to also come and experience it. And that's what happened at the Dallas Open is we had a couple thousand people a day enter the facility who may or may not know tennis or may not know SMU tennis, but they were there for another reason. And I think it exposed and shed more light on the facility. And it's all gone intertwined. And what I try to do as a match of the month uh, throughout the season and we really highlight it. We uh, do a lot of events that tie in with it. We've got ball kids, we've got catering, we've got, you know, we're entertaining donors, we're entertaining recruits, uh, fan base, everything. We've got food trucks and and make it a whole, whole experience that it becomes more than just the tennis. It becomes kind of a a thing to do. Okay. It, became, it becomes where everyone wants to go. And even if you're rooting for the other team, I'm okay with that. Just come experience a college match. Come and root for TCU or Texas or whoever else we're playing, and that's okay. But come watch the tennis match because I really believe college tennis is one of the most fantastic products. When you have six singles matches, three doubles matches going on simultaneously, you're always cheering for something. There's always these oohs and ahs in the crowd, and there is nothing greater than that because you can you know, uh, always experience and understand what's going on. And that's what happened in Tulsa. It's divided three and three. I could tell what was happening on the other bank of three courts purely by the cheers that I knew, okay, we probably won that point. We probably lost that point, And it's now a, you know, it's a deuce point. Mm-hmm. So that's the best part of college tennis, but with this uh, all Tech and the Steislinger family support and what they've been able to do and allow our programs to really thrive as well as many, many other families, including the Brookshires and the Turpins, uh, they've all allowed us the opportunity to really help promote and grow our sport bring Dallas open here and Dallas open was, I think one of the most well-attended 250 events events um, that I've ever been a part of. And I think the players really enjoy knowing that there was a couple thousand people for a, you know, qualifying Monday morning match.
0: Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And, you know, again, I, I, have three last questions for you. This is the last serious one. And I apologize. Cause I'm no, we're, we're good talk, on time. No, I'm just going to talk a lot here in this next question is what the apology is for you are someone who again, was, Director of Operations for a program at UCLA before you became an assistant and associate head coach there, and before you became the head coach at SMU. You've been around college tennis now for 20 years, and you know, you've know you done it at a program like UCLA, you've done it now at a program like SMU as well, and you talk about embracing the community. Putting butts in seats. How the thing that keeps you up is a fear of tennis dying out, which is a fear that resonates here at Crack Rackets. Obviously, our business is about promoting the sport of tennis, making it as entertaining and uh, as uh, able, making people able as many people able to play it and wanting to play it as possible, engaged with the sport. You know that said. It's one thing to say we're doing all of these things. I think coaches who listen to this, fans, players who listen to this would ask, how? How are you able to accomplish all of these things where you have the pro events? And certainly, I mean, it helps to have Dirk who is extraordinarily famous, extraordinarily wealthy, happens to just love tennis, and like you're the school that's in Dallas. And obviously, that's something that can't be replicated at, say, Middle Tennessee, not to rip on them because they do an outstanding job, but I'm just saying that's not easily replicable for them. At the same time, you mentioned some of the families you guys are fortunate to have as well as part of your program. I'm sure that helps from a fundraising standpoint. But I guess it's a two part question here. A, are you more CEO than tennis coach when you're the head coach of a college tennis program? And B, how do you, Grant Chen, go about building those connections, finding those families, and even beyond the, you know, the stye of the world, the the butts in seats families that end up coming to matches and make the whole college tennis experience that much worth more worthwhile?
1: Well, to answer your first part, uh, you CEO is is code name for custodial services, <laughs> laundry man, yeah. stringer, window washer. I mean, you you name it. So yeah. I think the point of that is that we all have to play many many different roles. Yeah. We've got to be able to be willing to know that our our job description is more than just the tennis lane, and and I think it all intertwines. You know, I mean, we've been able to have you know, tennis matches where we've had, you know, a thousand to 1500 people and the place is rocking. I mean, it, it really has been, we had one college match and the the third floor suite, which happens to have uh, adult beverages for uh, donors. They actually came to me and they're like, we're out. I'm like, okay, we'll <laughs> go get more. Yeah. So, you know, I think part of it is all working together and, and making sure that we're intertwined, but you know, I I wear a lot of different hats, you know, I mean, today I'm I'm literally cleaning up the office and we, you know, we brought home a hundred pounds of equipment back from Tulsa and here I am trying to get, uh, organized, but tomorrow I might be doing this or in the following day I'm doing that. Um, so every day is a little bit different, but I think the motto I try to believe in is, you know, every beach started with one grain of sand. So if we can, if we can start with a little bit, little bit, and then keep building it, then we're going to get to where we want to get to Um, part of why Dallas open happened was because we actually tried a a small exhibition event during our women's 25 K in October of 2019 with Coco golf and Christina McHale and Roddick and courier. And, you know, I think we got close to 2000 people one night, our, our president of our school wanted to be there. Members of the community want to be there. It was sold out. Um, I actually had no more chairs. And so I went to the party rental, uh supply and I said I need 100 more foldable <laughs> chairs I'll figure out where to put them later. Um and and that started with that and, and just understanding that there was a need for more tennis in Dallas and then that kind of led to the Dallas Open. And part of that also was is is because of John Isner being a local resident and him wanting to have a, a another local term in his backyard because North Carolina's home for him, Atlanta's home for him because of uh, UGA and and now Dallas. But, you know, it's it's fun to see that, but and I think for other schools and other programs, we all have our pros and cons. Um, SMU is not, uh, you know, we don't have everything. It's not perfect, but it's pretty solid. But every every school's got their own little niche. And it's important to tap into what those resources and what those strengths are. So I may have certain um, perks and uh, advantages, but there's a lot of things I have uh, obstacles. Um, but other schools might have other things. So I think every school, every university is unique in its own way. And to find out what we're able to do, what we're capable to do, and then focusing on utilizing that, mm-hmm. you know, if, if I didn't have um, a, a giant tennis facility, I probably wouldn't be doing some of this stuff, but I would be focusing on other things. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, so every program, every facility, and I, and I talk about this as the tennis ecosystem, we can all cohesively thrive and uh, and live together. We just got to identify how, and what makes sense. And where is that synergy?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: No, and it, then you're,
0: it, yeah. no, I was going to say, seeing the way you guys have done it and you mentioned it, I think that synergy of pro tennis, of course helps, but you mentioned having the local events there, right? Are you having your team practice practice? simultaneously with the junior clinics happening at your facility? Because to me, I feel like getting the young players in front of those college stars, once they see them now, they're you know glorified superstars in their eyes. Now you're seeing Superman playing that tennis. I feel like that's something every school can do.
1: You know, uh, we, we don't typically just mm-hmm. because, you know, certain time slots are for the team, sure, certain time slots are for junior program. And that's more of a facilities management. Mm-hmm. But what we tried to do is integrate both of them. So, you know, we have ball kids and some of these God, ball kids shoot. are five, six years old who don't know tennis at all. And they're tossing the balls at the wrong time, <laughs> but both, both players, the home team and the visiting team, I think have really welcomed that experience and allowing these kids to kind of understand the game and maybe want to play the game a little bit more. And, and I think one of the most hard uh heartwarming emails you can get is from a parent of a ball kid to say, Hey, you know, they don't know Roger Federer, but you know, Liam Craw to them is Roger Federer. And that's, yeah. and that's pretty special when they, when those, when our guys can have an impact like that on a six-year-old kid who knows nothing about tennis, but at the end of the match got an autograph ball or a, you know, a signed poster or a wristband. And, and that experience is, is, uh, invaluable. And frankly, it's important if we want to continue to allow more kids in our community to play the sport.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I, I love to hear that. And again, I do think that's part of the reason so many people keep coming out uh, to your matches. All right. With all that said, fun ones, and then I'm going to let you go. Let's start with UCLA because it came up. Carousel has come on this podcast and said definitively that the 2014 team was better than the 2013 team that made the final. You are now, you know, eight years removed from that. And, you you know, I feel like now you can speak freely. Which of the team which of the two teams is you know the team that comes off an Adrian Puget half a shoe size away from winning the national championship or the 14 team that somehow loses in the semifinals yeah
1: you know uh, both very different obviously the 14 okay. team uh, you know that was in Athens Georgia you know it's it, it's probably one of those it, it hurts a little bit more because I think had we had played SC in the finals yeah. I, I probably would have liked our chances. Um, Just because I think we had played them four times already that season. And, you know, I I don't remember exactly the record, but. I think it was three
0: and one. Carew, and for the record, for our listeners who may not know that team off the top of their head, 2014 lineup. Correct me if I'm wrong. Number one in the country in college tennis, Clay Clay Thompson. Thompson, Of course. Now Number two, NCAA 2014 singles champion, now top 60 in the world, Marcos Giron. At number three, freshman but just beat Stevie Johnson and Cincinnati qualifying coming into the year, Mackie, you know, Easter Bowl champion Mackie McDonald. Then it's just, you know, again, the embarrassment of riches with Carew, with Joe DiGiulio, who was a freshman that year, coming in as a blue chip as well. You know, Gage Brimer pre-ACL tear. Oh, my God, yeah. senior year Gage Brimer, let me tell you. Um, yeah, yeah it's not to, again, I apologize for saying all the pieces, but it's a team yeah. with pieces. that You no, put that no, team together today and they make Sweet six.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, what I what I probably would say is I think the 14 team was a stronger unit team, mm-hmm. um, you know, but obviously in 2013, we we reached the finals. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think both of those teams were incredibly strong from Carew's perspective. If you're talking about a, a, a unit and an actual group of guys, yeah. um, I would probably agree with Carew that it was 2014. 2013, we were very strong as well. But I, I, I think there was a small piece an X factor that was a little off, but we still got to the finals and still had championship points. So, you know, it's hard to take anything away from that. 2013 was also my first year as a assistant coach. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, I truthfully, I, I was kind of learning the ropes myself. You know, I was so, you know, my strengths is really operations, events and production that all of a sudden I'm, I'm trying to tell, you know, I'm trying to tell Marcos what to do on his forehand, which is, it's like, it's not the right situation, but you know, I, I think I've learned a lot and and grown a lot from those couple of years. Uh, But I think 2013 for me uh, was also just, I was so wet behind the years as my, as my first time on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. Um, But probably as a group, a little unfortunate to be, uh, you know, as we played OU in the, in the semifinals, I remember it was a 6 PM match. We were the upper courts at UGA and, you know, Andy Roddick's in the crowd heckling me and, and our, <laughs> our, our guys. And, you know, just some incredibly high level tennis with the uh, Alcorda, yeah. you know, Axel Alvarez. I mean, you know, I mean, it just, it was, it was some high level tennis by everyone. Um, but I think the, the 14 team had, we had maybe snuck it through in the semis. Um, you know, we would have a really good opportunity to, to, to have won the finals. Um, because I think when it comes to UCLA, USC, everything gets thrown out the window rankings don't matter, rosters don't matter, injuries don't matter, location doesn't matter. You throw down the gloves and then you just go to war. Because um, I think every time you play SC, it's always a really special moment for, uh, for a UCLA guy. And, and hopefully they feel the same way just because it's such a, a storied rivalry. Both schools are seven miles apart off, on uh, you know two of the busiest freeways on earth. But it's really just something that you cannot put to words um, and the community loves it because in this town of LA, you know, you kind of fall on one side of the fence or the other. Um, very few are on both, um, but it happens. But, you know, you kind of pick one side or the other. Um, my first red shirt or red piece of clothing that I ever owned was, wasn't until I got to SMU. <laughs> and uh, even my first year as head coach, we didn't wear red a lot as a team just because it was a, it was a color I was not used to. Yeah. Uh, so we wore a lot of blue, white, black, gray. And uh, you know, finally I was like, all right, we should probably incorporate the red a little bit more often. <laughs> so uh, but you know, like I said, I, I think crew crew's perspective as a member of those programs, um, I, I think he's got a lot of valid points and, and he knows his tennis and, and if, 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 if I said he didn't, he'd call me right after this podcast and argue <laughs> with me for three hours. Um, but yeah, that 14 team was special. We just probably got a little bit unlucky. And, and, you know, one thing for sure, those, those, OU you guys, um, you know, we had three years in a row where we, where we lost to them in the, in the NCAAs. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that was, that was certainly a tough thing to handle. Um, but, you know, they had our number for quite a few years. So, um, you know, Hats off to them.
0: No, they made three straight finals. John Roddick wins a title, if not in the midst of two of the best dynasties in men's college yep. tennis history Absolutely. In, in USC and Virginia. And, yep. you know, again, El was exceptional. Axel Alvarez is the most underrated player in the past 15 years in men's college tennis. We don't put him up there with the Nunos of the world, the Blumbergs of the world, the Petroses. He belongs there. He was that good uh, when it was his time to shine for those Oklahoma teams. I mean, Okay, last two uh, on this UCLA topic, and then we can move on. Uh, we'll start with the 14 team, because I mentioned it earlier. If Puget plays in that semifinal, healthy, do you guys win it? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't
1: he play line six that day?
0: I believe he did, but it was an okay. unhealthy Adrian.
1: Okay, okay, yes. Okay, so I, like I said, I, I'm still kind of going through my head a little bit, and, and recapping some of those moments, but <laughs> I think what happened was we put him in the finals of Ojai yeah, and we beat, we beat SC and he played, I believe Michael Gramps, if I remember correctly. And then, uh, you know, look, he's always had knee problems. He knows his body so well. So we kind of used it and managed it as well as we can. Uh, you know, I, I think, I think those, those matches, uh, you know, certainly Adrian probably would have given us a better shot. He was a hell of a doubles player. He just did incredible for us for doubles. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, there was a couple of matches, Um, you know, clay was up in his match, uh, you know, and threw everything out there, Um, you know, gauge gauge had a tough one as well, but, you know, I I think it wasn't just about Adrian. I I think it was just, uh, they had everything to gain. I think in my opinion that year, and we sort of had more of the target on our back, you know, whereas a couple of years later, Oklahoma had kind of the target on their back and everyone else was kind of gunning for them in Virginia. So you know, with that underdog mentality and John was so comfortable in, in Athens, Georgia, having played there, uh, you know, I think all the stars kind of lined up for them. But look, so much great tennis. I mean, this is why the final site and NCAA's and these conference tournaments. I mean, you're talking some of the greatest matches, and um, and I wish we could just shed more light on more of these matches because people need to know how great these moments are. And there is nothing more special than a three-all match and it's six all in the third and you know, you're throwing everything out there, and and you know, just who's going to stand and hold their wits a little bit stronger is going to come out on top.
0: Mm-hmm. So, with that in mind, 2013, Cobalt double fault, seven six in the third or seven five yeah. in the third, whatever it was. Garonne takes it over him. You guys advance four three to the final. The highs yeah. of the high, the highest of highs, the thrills yeah. of that first year on the job. You're on the sideline for the first time. I have to ask the question, or it's journalist journalistic malpractice. Adrian's approaching the net. Mitchell floats a slice. Go. Well, I was in between
1: courts one and two at that moment because okay. I actually coached two four six that day. Okay, so, so I, you were, I by was, the way,
0: the winner on that day. So Garonne beats Damijan. Uh, I forget Kurchin, who played for. Beats uh, yeah, beats Max. or yeah, yeah. yeah, and then With Carew the three Urgen. sets over Julet. So you're the MVP of that match. Well, yeah, we'll see. But you know, we, we still <laughs> came up
1: a little bit short. You know, I I think what I felt was, you know, one was going to be tough. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think we really had a chance in doubles. I think that's probably the, the, the one that kind of slipped away a little bit because, you know, I think they put uh, they switched the chains in and doubles. If I remember correctly, like it's all blur, but (laughs) um, so I was in between one and two where those bleachers are underneath the scoreboard. I was actually next to the the chair and um, you know, the head ref as well as some of the NCAA committee members. Um, Billy was on that court. The other funny thing is this, the volley landed once and it was about to hit court, court one, you know, and Mitchell had no racket on it, but it didn't bounce a second time, you know? So, you know, you look at all these different things. The other thing that I'll bring up is the net um, had folded underneath, you know, I I don't know the exact regulation (laughs) rules of all that, but it wasn't kind of, uh, it shouldn't be resting that much. It wasn't taught
0: the the way it should have been. Correct. You know, so
1: it could have been a little tighter and the tension and all that, but, Look, all said and done. I mean, even at that point, he was still serving five, three and, and, you know, a deuce point And, and I, I think it, it was tough. It, he, he certainly, um, you know, didn't really falter. I also think a guy like Mitchell, you give him one small crack and he's going to take it. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think more importantly, rather than thinking that Adrian blew it, I, I really think Mitchell kind of, that was his one opening that he needed to seize the moment. So, you know, 10 minutes later, yes, things didn't go our way, but um still an incredible season. I think we only lost two matches that whole year because I think we were the number one seed. Um, But what I will say is that the next day, 24 hours later, he, you know, Adrian plays Hiltzik mm-hmm. in like the 7 p.m. match. Illinois did not make the final site, so everybody in Champaign was watching Jared. Yeah. And I remember this. It was like the second point of the singles match, and Puget's playing Hiltzik. And you know, there's an on it and a break, you know, you yeah. know, break point and whatever. And Adrian looks at me, he's like, "I can't believe I have to deal with this right now." You know, he's, <laughs> yeah. he he basically didn't eat or sleep for 24 hours. Yeah. And I just said, "Yeah, I know. Let's just let's Get see what up. happens." Mm-hmm. He somehow pushed it to three sets and then you know came up short. Which honestly, it might have been better had he lost 0-1. <laughs> uh, but you know, the entire community of Champagne was there watching uh, Jared and you know, and so that, that was the moment I remember. And he looked at me, didn't say anything. And I knew exactly what he was thinking. Yeah. So, uh, but no, look, he, you know, he's, he's done so many great things for our program and, and, uh, and a lot of great memories with him. His recruiting trip was, uh, one for the books, you know, at one point, I think the message was, has anyone seen the recruit in a couple hours? You know, <laughs> he had kind of, he kind of floated off, but uh, a lot of good stories there.
0: No, I love it. I mean again, we can add, I imagine the Ohio State four three was quite the thrill though. Which one? The one uh, uh at semifinals to- in uh in uh in in Champaign.
1: Oh yeah. No, I mean look, I mean you're talking uh ridiculous tennis. I mean you have Blas Rola and Are Dominion. you on the Garonne court? Did you have two four six that day as well? I, I had two four six. I always yeah. I always had I always had Carew. Yeah. So Karu <laughs> Carew, Carew and I have had some really Memorable conversation because there there are sometimes we didn't talk tennis, and there are sometimes he was like, Grant, just do me a favor, please don't say anything. This changeover, I I got it. I'd be like, All right, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go check on McCurchin and see if he needs a Gatorade.
0: Yeah,
1: um, you know, and and I think the guys knew what they wanted, and you know, I also have learned, you know, sometimes too much talking isn't good, so Mm -hmm. less is more, but. Yes, I did add that. I, I do remember the the Cobalt double fault, which, you know, I, I think he'll admit it actually went over the fence and hit yeah. the other bank of the It other was a home run. Yeah, you know, and and look, I, I, I have a lot of respect for him. I, I saw him play so many matches, and he knows this. I, I I give him a lot of credit. But, you know, whenever we played Ohio State, it was just some of the most high-level tennis. I even remember Puget and Alex Brigham at number one doubles playing Chase Buchanan and Blaz Rolla. And Puget had one of the most incredible half volley pickups at like five, six, five in the tiebreaker to win the doubles point in Athens, Georgia, that, you know, the year before mm-hmm. um, I'll never forget that volley. It was, it was incredible. So, uh, you know, a lot of great matches we've come up on top a couple of times, but they're always four threes for sure. So yeah, it's been that's,
0: fun. That's what makes college tennis special. And again, my last question for you before I let you go had i told 1999 grant chen you know who's i don't know where's the first club well first club tennis nationals is what 2000 i don't know where it was surprise it was uh
1: it was at university of texas
0: okay so checks out if i would have told that grant chen who by the way how'd you guys do
1: well uh you know i think one year that year i think we lost in the semis if i remember correctly and then a. Uh, uh, you know, I've had a lot of good stories there. I'm actually a certified lines official and chair. Okay. So it, it started to get out at club tennis that I was certified. Yeah. And I remember one <laughs> year at Surprise, Arizona, we had lost to Cal mm-hmm. in the semifinals in the mixed doubles in the last match. And um, afterwards, this is literally the the match had just ended. The head person from USTA Elaine comes up to me, who oversees tennis on campus, and was like, "Hey." Sorry, but hey, can you chair the finals <laughs> and, and, and talk about salt on the wound because yeah. and then she laid on the guilt. It was like, well, if you don't do it, um, the local Phoenix Scottsdale official <laughs> who who is, you know, four times your age will do it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, wow. Just laying it on thick with me. That's so, uh, and I remember that match. There was no overrules until mixed doubles. And then I had three, I had to make three overrules in a row. <laughs> and then I got, a, I got out of that chair so fast and I raced back to our uh, our hotel. But um, yeah, tennis on campus has always been special. Um, it, it's no surprise to anybody. I've had a lot of great memories. Uh, you know, and, and it's been fun to see that that program grow, not just at UCLA, but across the country. Um, you know, there's nothing better than mixed doubles, er everything's out there and you know, girl serving a girl and both guys are trying to poach and it's sudden death, deuce point. And and I mean it's just so exciting when you when you figure that part out and you enjoy those moments. And I really like the co ed aspect. Um, I, I think that adds another variable that that is pretty special. Um, so um, but tennis on campus has always been uh holds a special place to me. Um I've really try to do what I can to help the SMU club, um, club tennis team grow. I am their faculty rep. I don't know what that means, except that I'm their faculty rep. Um, but <laughs> it's been exciting. They experienced their first nationals at USTA Lake Nona a couple weeks ago. And, and I think it's something that they'll always remember. And I think we can grow it for next season. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, when I was getting pictures for them during their, uh, Orlando trip, you know, it just, it was really, really special to me to, to see. And, and a lot of them, they got a couple of good players that they're trying to get after. And, and uh, I've met with them and tried to done whatever I can to help their program grow.
0: Yeah, no, I've said it before. I'll say it again, Adam Steinberg, Sean, uh, they were obviously coaches when I was a senior and before nationals our senior year, they sent, uh, Andrew Goodwin, who, of course, is yep. the assistant at Tulsa to come to all of our practices. And then Steiny came and Sean came to our final ones before we went off to Nationals. And they were like, here's some gear. Rep Michigan proudly. Yep. And they now have our trophy in the trophy case. So shout out to yep. them. Um, and yeah, the hubris from that moment is why I'm doing this podcast today. But if I would have told you then that you would be the head coach of SMU on Monday, April 25th, 2022, would that Grant Chen have believed it? I think he Probably would. not.
1: Well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, tr- yeah. truthfully, I, I I'm actually one of the few members in my family, not in medicine. Um, <laughs> and I say that I say that proudly because I, I might be one of the happiest in my family. Yeah. But, you know, look, this the sport has given me a lot. I've really been I've really loved this game, Um, you know, through through all all aspects of it. You know, I, I go on vacation. My vacations are two tournaments to the U.S. Open, to Wimbledon, which I think probably sounds crazy. But it's something that I enjoy doing and, and being able to watch Some tennis is fun and and at all levels. Um, My mom, you know, I, I, I've taken her to Wimbledon a few times and she'll sit on court 16 on the outside and just, you know, watch ladies first round and mixed doubles. Like she doesn't even need the show courts, but it's been something that we've been able to do together. And the sports has, has been really great to me. And, and that's how come I really continue every day to try to grow the game, start winning with juniors, grassroots, and also trying to do what we can. Um, We do a lot of wheelchair tennis and adaptive sports. Um, when we can here at the facility as well, especially during the summer when the the conditions are pretty hot. Um, but all in all, uh, it's been a blast. Uh, talk about a crazy journey and a ride. And, you know, I think it's because of our small fraternity of coaches and friends that we're all here. Um, you know, Billy, Peter Smith, Manny Diaz, Dick Gould, a lot of these guys have been tremendous mentors and friends to me to tell me some of the do's and don'ts of what to do and, and a lot of things they that they got away with or something like that or what they learned throughout the journey. Um, and I think if we can continue doing that with our players um, and recruits and, you know, guys post-college and uh, playing on the tour, then, uh, you know, I think we'll be in a good spot because college is a great platform for pro tennis. Um, a lot of players have done, been very successful, you know, I, you know, to think that Mackie, Marcos and Max Cressy are all in the top, whatever 80 in the world is, uh, is exciting and proud, but you know, I didn't think that we'd have that, you know, and, but you know, even that 14 and 13 team, all those guys played pros. And at one time, I think they were all top 400 crew clay, you know, Meister, all of them. I think they had all cracked top 400 simultaneously. So um, it's been fun to see, and hopefully we can do some similar things at SMU. And, you know, a lot of our guys want to pursue pro tennis after this as well. And, you know, play futures and challengers and ATP events in their backyard. So we'll, we'll get to that. And, mm-hmm. but it's been fun. And, and I'm, I'm thrilled that you finally, it took me winning the conference tournament <laughs> to get an invitation. So um, I guess I'll wait for the next one, which I don't even yeah. know what that landmark's going to be, but looking forward to 2.0.
0: It's Sweet 16. I mean, I think that's what it's got to be. And I again, older brother for me, Harvard Business School. Younger brother, undergrad at Wharton. I know the feeling when my parents are like, yeah, but that middle one loves tennis. Like, I'm that brother as well. So again, I just, I get you. Uh, But again, um, I'm immensely grateful that you uh, had the time to chat today. And again, such a fan of all you do. And I know Max Kohler will get mad at me, volunteer assistant at Oklahoma, who was in Florida same time I was playing for Michigan. So we've known each other for a while. You're the blueprint of, you know, again, Uh, us tennis on campus getting involved in the tennis industry. So uh, sincerely appreciate all you do to motivate us. And uh, again, your commitment to tennis, I think is unequivocal. And so all you do for the game, sincerely on behalf of all of us, we are immensely grateful.
1: No, it's been a blast. I actually spoke with Max a couple hours ago, um, you know, and, and, you know, it's been a lot of fun to get to know him and learn him about him more. And he had a nice feature article Mm -hmm. with the USTA.com. Um, last week. So that was a lot of fun. And and I think anything we can do to shed light on our sports at all different levels and hopefully allowing recruits and high school kids to know that even though you might not be on the division one varsity team or your collegiate team on campus, there are so many other tennis opportunities that you can explore and be a part of. And I think tennis on campus, club tennis, intramurals is a really great way to kind of get involved and continue to play the sport that you love because I didn't play division one tennis. I was a very mediocre junior. I wasn't even talented. I just happened to move decently and make a lot of balls or as many balls as I thought I could. Um, But I I love the game, and it's been a lot of fun and and always appreciate what you've done and given back to our sport as well.
0: No, I really appreciate you saying that, Coach. Well, again, good luck to you and the team. Rest up, NCAA tournament coming up. Got to represent the AAC proudly. So, of course, good luck to you all, and I'm sure we will chat again soon. You got it. I'll see you soon, Alex. Yep, take care. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with SMU men's tennis head coach Grant Chen. A huge thank you to him for taking the time to chat. Sincerely, an inspiration to all of us who want to get into tennis, who don't have the most you know, regimented, most pristine playing background. And I think Coach Chen's commitment to the game is unequivocal and it's undeniable as well what he does, not only as a coach on the court, but again, his commitment to growing the sport off of it as well. So happy to have finally had the chance to have him on the show, and i promise we're going to continue to pick his brain here in the future as well. But again, if you're looking for any of our Crack Rackets college tennis coverage, tune over to our website, crackrackets.com. Episodes of the deciding point every Tuesdays and Thursdays, breaking down all the Division I men's and women's college action over on our YouTube channel. You can hear them the next day as Great Shot Podcasts as well. Of course for the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Crack Rackets. If you want to message me directly, I am at AL Garuskin. A shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff for the f- of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out again to our friends at Swing Vision as well. Learn more about them by clicking on the link in the description to this podcast and make sure to use our promo code CRACK20 at sign up with all of that said for the fantastic SMU men's tennis head coach Grant Chen, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Swing Vision from all of us here. At both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. Talk to you all soon. Thanks, everyone. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.